0: Morning. Is it weird to have two or three weeks ago use your heater on full blast and now you're using your air conditioner on full blast? So weird. It's just so not what I grew up. <laughs> How are we doing? Okay. I want to ask you a question and I and I want you to be honest with me cuz I I I want to pray into this this morning. How many walked in feeling a little scattered? And that's okay. It's not a okay. Raise your hands again. Okay. So a good, a good portion of us. Okay. So before we get into the word this morning and having conversation, I would like to pray into this because there is just scatteredness, obviously, takes you from a place to feeling settled. And so this morning I want, us to, I want the Lord to help lead us into a place of settledness, at least for this moment, so that we can hear and see all that he wants for us. Okay? Can we do that? So, Lord, we thank you for who you are and that you are good without even doing anything you are good and we ask now though out of your goodness that you would um, touch those places in our hearts and our minds that are scattered and bring those pieces together and help them settle into a healthy place Lord we want to see you and only you we want to know you and only you this morning we want to hear from you and only you So I ask in Jesus' name that you would remove anything in our hearts that would keep us from you, that would keep us from engaging you. And so I pray that we would leave feeling more settled and more joyful and hopeful than when we came in because of who you are and what you're doing in our lives and because you see us and you know us and you love us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in this um, little mini-series. I, I don't want to call it a series because it almost feels like a task kind of mentality. It's a, it's a miniature journey we're on that has huge implications, I believe. But what you'll see on your bulletin is this post-script kind of series we've been in for the last several weeks. And for those of you that are uh, visiting today, I just want to let you give you a little quick background of what that is. Oftentimes, churches get uh, really, really pumped and have a lot of energy and time put into Easter. And then it's over and then you have the Easter hangover and you're recovering and all of this. But there's so much to tackle uh, that happens immediately after the resurrection. And, And we celebrate Easter because of what Jesus did there and in the grave. Because it gives us life with him. And as churches... We've developed, especially in American culture, that Easter is also an opportunity to evangelize to people that may not know him. So we pour a lot of energy into that. But let me tell you something. We need to be living the resurrection, death and resurrection, every day in our lives. Because the implication of that is that we get to be with Jesus. Now we see the scripture that he's with us, but that doesn't mean we always engage him. So we get an opportunity to engage Jesus for eternity. I think that's pretty amazing. Don't you? So we wanted to spend a little time in this. So we've talked about Peter and some of his responses and looked at John chapter 20. And then last week, we took a little different route, but I I believe it's applicable. Uh, I shared with you a little bit of my own devotional time. And and sometimes I protect that to the point where I don't share some of that stuff. But if if I'm the Lord's and everything I have is his, then so is my devotional time with him. And so I felt him leading me to share some of that. And we looked at John 17. And in John 17, what we see is Jesus with his disciples praying in front of his disciples. And he prays for his disciples, and he prays for all believers. And this is an important prayer. And I've read this tons of times. But it didn't hit me because I didn't bring relational implication. I brought a theological understanding when I approached this passage. And what I saw there for me, when I opened my heart to the relational implication and uh, fact of the matter, it, it rocked me. Has that happened to anyone? When you look at, you've looked at some over and over, but for a moment, God gives you a different understanding of it, and it just slaps you in the face. And then you go to that place, how come I didn't see this before? Oh my gosh, I'm so dumb, I didn't see, and you're, t- you're diminishing yourself. Has anyone done that other than me, or am I by myself? I don't like being lonely. So okay, there we go. I feel a lot better. It's community happening, guys. Community happening. So, what I noticed in there and this is important for us to understand is Jesus' motivation, his ultimate desire. And he says in this passage to all believers when he's praying to his Father, "I want all of them to be where I am." Let me say it again. He wants all of us to be where he is. And in doing so, he talks about the church, there will be, he wants perfect unity, not uniformity, unity. And the only way that happens is if what? We stay with Jesus. Because the church isn't really unified, are we? We're, denominations are splitting, there's all these different understandings, because only Jesus can do that. That's why our mandate is clear. Abide in me, stay with me, because that's the only way unity in life happens. It's the only way. You can't conjure it up with good intentions and, and, and motivations. Only he can do that. So I wanted to continue in that vein a little bit and hit a passage that those of us who have, um, have a relationship with Jesus or have been church most of our lives or at any time we've heard the Great Commission. When I say that, how many have heard of the Great Commission? Matthew 28. Jesus is with his disciples. And before he ascends to heaven, he gives them a few things. And we're going to look at these. And what I want us to do, this is, this is the passage of go and make disciples. In my authority, go and make disciples of all nations, of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what I've commanded you. For I will be with you always. Okay, that's the gist. Now, How many of you have your own understanding of what discipleship means or this passage, right? You've either been taught it, you've discovered it yourself. We all have different pieces of that. Some of it's good, some of it we could probably do without. But what I would ask of you this morning as we get into the passage is to surrender everything so we can see afresh what God has for us, okay? Can we do that? Just... That doesn't mean it's right right or wrong. It's just we want to hear what God has to say. And we're only going to pull out a few parts of this. We could be spending the rest of our life studying this one passage. So if some are going, well, he didn't hit this. Well, I know. I'm not trying to hit everything. There are a couple of things that I want us to pull from this morning. That being said, let's look at Matthew 28. And I want you to just receive this. I want you to close your eyes. Do whatever you have to do to focus of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, traditionally speaking, we've different ways of doing this. We see... uh, a popular one in American culture is evangelizing. Is that important? Yes. Okay. Evangelizing, creating opportunity for people to come and hear the gospel. Is that important? Yes, it's important. Is developing Christians important? Absolutely. It's a non negotiable. We have to go beyond just the decision of, of accepting Jesus, we have to learn to live in Him. Absolutely but we have so many strategies and thoughts on how to do that. I mean, that's a lot of what my call is is like, okay, how do we develop people? What does that look like? How do we do it? We want people to identify God's voice in their life, respond to it, hence the two questions. All those things are good. Yes? They're good. But I want to use a approach to this that I think is right. And I think it's a non-negotiable and it simplifies everything. I heard a couple of weeks ago someone teaching on this and, and they said this phrase and then moved on and said some other things. But the phrase stuck with me in my devotional time and just asking the Lord about it. But this person said that discipleship is basically, when it comes to Jesus, teaching people to love who you love. That being Jesus. Teaching people To love whom you love. Now, I've heard that before. But again, when we look at a relational implication of something that we've heard before, it takes our focus somewhere different. Now, let me tell you something. Is this the word of God? Yes or no? Yes, Yes. is it of the utmost importance? Yes. Yes, does it teach us things that we are to teach others? Yes, does it bring correction in places? Yes, is it is it life? Yes, but from beginning to end, this is all and will always be about relationship. Always. And we have a habit of making it an epic or an academic adventure that will help bring enlightening about a relationship that's to be experienced, not just read about. But experienced. And I've spent a lot of my life reading this, looking at this. Well, well, what does this look like as discipleship? I've got to have the right answers to tough questions and all of these different things. But when Jesus, when you see some of the most poignant places in Scripture, they're relational encounters. And I've spent so much time trying to know the right things and say the right things that I've lost sight of what is really matters. And when I read this and engage this relationally, I can read the great commission it can hit me like I've read it for the first time. Think about it. Those of you that say, I love you to someone, that can be such a habit, yes? (laughs) I love you, sweetie, bye, I love you, I love you. And we say it a lot. And when we say it, do we always think about the implication? Do we stop there and go, how can I count the ways of why I love this person? Do we do that every time we say it? No. Is it true that we love this person? Probably so. But we're not experiencing in that moment the impact of what we're saying. We, that happens a lot in the church. We say a lot of things that are true things, but when we take a relational tent on it, then it lands in a different way for the first time. And the Great Commission is no different. We are to call to teach people to love whom we love. Now, I have, uh, Shanna and I had the blessing of having our third kid three months ago. I said two months first service, and I went, wow, a whole month gapped. It's three months. <laughs> okay. And when you come in, let's say you come into church, one of the things that you see a lot is people on their phone showing you something. Who's experienced that? You show people things that you're excited about and you love. And with my kid, with with Finley, she's three months, and she doesn't do anything. I mean, she's like this half the time. She can't commit to a frown or a smile, so it's like, like she smelled something bad. She poops on me all the time. Yesterday was like Armageddon it's real stuff. How many have kids? How many have experienced that? I'm speaking for you. It gets all over and you're like, this person is not doing anything of my benefit, but I love them beyond something I cannot comprehend. She just sits there and she's a taker. She's in this relationship to take food, my sleep, Shanna's sleep, my hygiene, my clothes, soiled. But I love her with something I can't possibly comprehend. And when I see people, I want to go, look at it. I show my picture. Do I not? I go, look at my beautiful girl. I love her so much, and I want you to love her the way I love her, because she is amazing. And then I got two other kids. My daughter, Gracie, is nuts. <laughs> but the most beautiful and wonderful person. And, man, can she work a room. Whoa. She makes eye contact. She knows you're loved and then asks you for whatever she wants. And you go, yep. (laughs) And my son Emmett just looks at you with his blue eyes and that little smile and his little wink. And you just give him whatever. Whatever. They're beautiful. They're wonderful. I love them so much, and I want people to know. It's not, it's not, I don't need to wait until I get all the information I need about them and the right information, and some people, they annoy them. I don't care. I don't care if my kids annoy them. I love them, and I want people to know. That's not something I'm going to hide. It's not something I'm going to put under a bushel. I'm going to let you know that I love my kids so you can see what I see. And that's what Jesus asks from us. I love you, and I've stated I want you to be where I am. My response should be let me tell you about Jesus and not to theologize about him, but to simply say based off my story and encounter with him why I love him so you can know so someday he will hit you in your heart and you will know what I know. And you're going to go, whoa. And that's the beginning of discipleship. Do all those other coaching things that come in? Yes. But you're to give away what he's given you. Not a a sermon, not a convincing speech, but why you look like a freak going, oh my goodness. Let me tell you why I look out of my mind as Jesus did to others, because he loves me and I don't deserve it, but I receive it and I accept it. And I'm gonna teach you to love him the way I love him. I love him imperfectly, but he loves me perfectly. He chose 12 flawed men to spend his ministry with And we hear a lot of good things from them. But the most important things that you see are them giving away the love of God that they were given. We've said this before. When you look at Peter, when you look at his journey with Jesus, it usually always has to do about staying with him in his gaze and not taking the bait. And he learns it in Acts chapter 3, outside the gate called Beautiful on his way to worship with John. And he sees that man and he says, look at me. As I'm looking at you, you look at me. But we get lost. We get lost in the miracle of the man walking, which is true. It's great. It's wonderful, right? It's great. Do you know what's more important to me? Is that Peter saw someone that was unworthy in society, even be counted as an individual. And he says, look at me because I am looking at you. What do you think is the greatest gift? The walking or to be seen and to be known and to be loved. Because the action was a result of love encountering that crippled man. And Peter, in that moment, taught that man to love whom he loves. The man on the cross with Jesus is in paradise. Did he leave? Did he lead a revolution for Jesus? Did he go convince people in the synagogue about Jesus? No, he recognized Jesus on the cross. And Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. We are to love what he loves. We are to teach people to love the one we love. When I was dating my wife, Shanna, I was so excited because she's way out of my league. (laughs) And I had photographic proof. And I would tell people, look it. Look at Actually, back then it was more like, look at this printout. <laughs> look, she's with me. Oh, you took that out of the Sears catalog. No, it's true. And I want you to meet her. I love this woman. I want you to meet her. I'm like, okay. And, and a lot of my friends are on the East Coast. Come out and meet her. Well, I'm not buying a plane ticket to meet your girlfriend. Well, you got to meet her. She's amazing. Now, they meet her, and that's the introduction. It's great, but do they know her? No, they don't know her yet. They've been introduced. They see, wow, she's kind. She's funny. She seems great for you. You're totally different. She's going to make you better. Yeah, but when they get to know her, then they begin to understand why I love her. See, the meeting was, I was evangelizing. And they had the encounter, and they go, Wow, I wanna to get to know her better. And then when you get to know her, you begin to realize why I love her. And then people begin to love her. You see this? We do this every day. And sometimes when we think about discipling people or sharing Jesus and why we love him, we get scared. Because it is kind of scary. But we're filtering it through a different, weird system a hodgepodge of things we've collected along the way, especially experiences that make us feel insecure. I I don't know enough. I don't have enough. I've done this or I haven't done that. Jesus is not asking you to give a thesis. He's asking you to share why you love him, to show why you love him. That doesn't mean you force him on people. That means when the opportunity arises, Holy Spirit will say, now's the time. It's time to get our freak on and you are to show them Why you love me and teach them to love me? It's beautiful. It's simple. Hard, but simple. My greatest encounters with people that have discipled me were ones that I could see the joy they have in Jesus. A well-known pastor years ago, I didn't even know who he was, had no idea who he was. found out he was well-known after the fact. Saw it, was in a restaurant, saw a guy, me, who was serving, was a waiter at the time, in a miserable place in my life. And he came up to me at 89 years old, broken back, on a cane, and simply says to me, I see the sweetness in Jesus of you. Sweetness of Jesus in you. And it changed my world. He didn't theologize to me. He didn't talk me out of my pain. He didn't do anything. He simply, through his way, showed me why he loves Jesus. And I thought, that's what it is. It wrecked me. I was on the floor crying. thought I was going to get fired. My boss was a Buddhist, and I thought, oh, man, I'm I'm with this pastor. She knows he's a pastor. All things are going to happen. I look, and she's sobbing. Because the love of Jesus communicates more than anything we can learn. And regurgitate. The love of Jesus does something. It brings unity. It brings clarity. It brings power in life into a place that has none. And what he's saying to us is he's saying to his disciples, Look, my goal is for you to be where I am. Therefore, tell people, teach people to love me the way you love me. That's all. That other stuff will come. Does that mean learning scripture and learning things are bad? No. But I heard it, I heard it uh, between services, someone was really hit by this and had some really good thoughts. But when you're at the he used this metaphor, when you're at the gates, not looking for what you know. As far as your notes and all of that, it's do you know me? Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Not a bunch of things about him. Are they important? Yeah, but not if they don't help enhance your relationship with him. And we want people to have relationship with Jesus, to know the love of God, so we will teach them the love of God because we love him. And we want people to see what we love. So I pray against fear in Jesus' name. All you have to do is go look. Look at Jesus in my life. I want you to meet him and know him. The way I know him, he's messed me up. I'm trying to give him everything. He's turned me upside down, topsy-turvy. It's miserable half the time because I'm having to give up everything I want, but realize I want him more. He's my identity. Church, we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. We are called to teach people to love Jesus the way we love Jesus. Do we love him perfectly? No. But thank you, God, for his grace and the leading of his Holy Spirit that puts us in the right place at the right time and says the right things at the right time when we say, okay, Jesus, do what you want to do, and people will see why we love him. And I want to pray against something, too. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves because some of us feel like we've lost that first love. Some of us feel that the bad deeds have outweighed the desire for him. What gives me hope is when Jesus encounters Peter to, as theologians and scholars would say, to reinstate him. But something more powerful, just as powerful happens to me underneath. Sometimes we need to be reminded It wasn't wasn't Jesus that needed reminding that Peter loved him. Who do you think it might have been because of his deeds as of late? Peter had to be reminded that he loved Jesus. Jesus knows that Peter loves him, but Peter needed to know That some of his mistakes didn't disqualify him from the love of God as long as he keeps engaging Jesus and he jumped out of the boat to get to the shore and be with Jesus. Is he restored? Yes, but you know what? He realized in that moment, in the midst of his sin and his things that would normally disqualify anybody else who lives that way, that he actually does love Jesus. Don't disqualify yourself that's not your job. To eliminate yourself and you be judge of yourself is not your job. That's his job. Our job is to engage him, engage him, engage him, engage him. Let me see that again with the other pointed finger. Engage him, engage him, engage him, engage him. We cannot use our bad choices as an excuse anymore to not Go near him or not engage him because we think it's too hard and we're ashamed. Let him heal your shame. Let him speak over you with that saturating love that he has, so that you can go, I am redeemed, I'm gonna disciple you know how I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna show you why I love him. I'm gonna teach you. And the first way is just to surrender. What 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 do you think? Landscape of this body and the church would look like if we simply did that. Don't get me wrong; those other resources are good. I hear what I'm not saying, but what's the purpose of it all? Without Him, we have nothing. Without me, you cannot bear any fruit. We can't manufacture it and just put his name of approval on it. That doesn't work. I've tried for so long, trying to find, I remember growing up thinking about preaching and thinking about being a pastor, and I would, oh, I want to do a sermon that just united everyone, and, and the words would be powerful and all of these things, and I realized, <laughs> That's dumb. Because everyone has their own junk and own perception and own picture of Jesus. And my one message that is going to convince all of these different realities in people's lives that Jesus is the way to go based off my clever communication? No! Jesus will do that. My job is just to be a fanatic about the love of God. And when opportunity arises to teach people how to love them, and the first way you do that is surrender, and that's repentance, that's forgiveness, and stepping into the life that he has you. And then we can walk through that other stuff. But let's love God and teach people how to do that, as we're still learning to do that. I see no other way. Jesus is everything. So I can try my fancy strategies, can try all these things and great. But if I don't love him or I'm not focused on sharing the love he has for me, who cares? Because my crafty ideas doesn't transform a heart. The love of God transforms the heart. Discipleship starts there, in my opinion. Are there other layers? Sure. Are they good? Yeah. But only because the core is good. Only because Jesus is that core. I can't unify the church. I can have every stadium and platform in the world, and I can't unify anybody. Jesus can, and he does that through your story. Give away what he's given you. Some people go, I need need all the right things to do that. You only need him. Give away what he's given you. Easy for you to say, you're a pastor. No, give away what he's given you. He is showering you, saturating you with his heart. Let people see it. So fear be gone in Jesus' name. Shame be gone in Jesus' name. Discouragement be gone in Jesus' name. Timidness be gone in Jesus' name. And Lord, we ask in your name that you would give us through your Holy Spirit a boldness to shout the name of Jesus across the land, across our rooftops, and allow our lives to be a beacon of your love and grace so people will know you. Only then will the church be unified. But because he did it, not us. So, Lord, we ask that you have your way. Have your way. Mess with us. May fear and shame no longer have a grip on us, no longer have a foothold. We ask that your heart would drive this ship. You are the head. You do it. Thank you. Give us the courage to give away what we got in a way that teaches people to love you, to love whom we love. pray a blessing as we enter this time of giving our tithes and offerings they're an act of worship you're worthy of all things you are worthy of our lives, you are worthy of our resources, you are worthy you are worthy you are worthy so we give out of faith for you are worthy We give out of trust, for you are worthy. We give out of a place of confidence in you, for you are worthy. And you are faithful, and your faithfulness does not depend on our faithfulness. We thank you for that, for you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: of that